For the last several weeks, we've been on relationships. Let's talk about relationships, and we've been on that. And mostly with, with the relationships with the Apostle Paul. I think the Bible lets us know how important relationships are. Not only our relationship with God, our vertical relationship, but our horizontal relationship, our relationship with our fellow man. In fact, as we've gone through this study, we found out that in Matthew, Matthew tells us that if we bring our gift to the altar to worship God, if we come to worship God and we realize that someone has an alt against us to leave there that gift and go and certainly speak to that person and make things right. So in order for our worship to be what it should be rather than being subpar and sometimes that happens in our lives if we're not careful if we allow things to happen and we become bitter and unforgiving in order for our worship to be what it should be we need to make sure that our relationship with our fellow man is what it should be and that it is biblical also he tells us that uh, when it comes to working for God and our works for God and we read in Acts the Apostle where the Apostle Paul was in Troas and how that he realized that his relationship with the church at Corinth was not what it should be. Not necessarily on his part, but on their part. They had turned against him and questioned his apostleship and leadership. Paul in this town or city of Troas was having a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God. God was moving, miracles were being performed, yet he, he closed that revival down and he went looking for Timothy to find out what their response was to his letter that he had sent to them. So Paul, rather than just continuing the works of the Lord, made sure that his relationship with the church at Corinth was proper and what it should be. So our relationship should be... Uh, with others should be what it should be when it comes to our worship, when it comes to our works. And then Peter tells us that if you want a good life of prayer and you're praying to be successful, then your relationship with your mate, your husband or wife should be what it should be. In fact, he says that your prayers be not hindered. We went through those things and we looked at it. And then we looked at Paul's relationship with Barnabas and how that division brought about multiplication. Paul's relationship with John Mark and how that Mark left. And then, of course, he came back and eventually wrote the book of Mark. He said, Demas have forsaken me. Paul's relationship with this young man, Demas, having loved this present world. So it was important about his relationship with, with all of these people. And, and then we looked at his many relationships with about 66 people, 22 of those being women, and how that these men and women assisted him and that they were so kind to him to visit him uh, in prison and to uh, extend themselves to him about his relationship with those somewhere around 66 people. But I want to end this thought on relationships by looking at Paul's relationship with someone that is very important. And that is Jesus Christ. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For me to live is Christ. 
and to die is gain. If I ask you this morning to, 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 to make that statement, for me to live, what would you put in that blank there? For me to live is what? Your church, your job, your children, your grandchildren, your favorite sports team, money, your bank account. For me to live is what? What would you say and what would you put in that blank? For me to live is. Paul said for me to live is Christ. If you do not have an outline of the uh, sermon, please raise your hand. It's a great, great outline. Not because I did it, but because it, it really lets us know some powerful truths. And I want you to get one. So please raise your hand and Brother Steve will make sure that you get one. You see, Paul talked about Jesus Christ living in him. And of course, you and I know that Christ indwells us through and by the Holy Spirit. He's there. No matter whether you feel like it or whether you don't. Jesus Christ lives in us. Again, as he's writing to this church at Philippi, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. In this statement, the Apostle Paul is saying that everything he has tried to be, everything he is, and everything he looked forward to being pointed to Jesus Christ. From the time of his conversion until his martyrdom, every move he made was aimed at advancing the knowledge, advancing the gospel, and the church of Jesus Christ. Paul's singular aim was to bring glory to Jesus. And when you look at the story of Paul, and it is the greatest, one of the greatest stories ever told. When you look at the Apostle Paul's story, you see throughout his life and throughout his messages, it spoke of redemption. Of not only he being redeemed, but every man, every woman that would certainly Come to Christ with an open heart and faith in him. If we want to understand somewhat about Paul in his writings. If we want to understand somewhat about Paul and the character of Paul. I think we first of all must look at what Paul was before he was converted. It is important to study the life of this man. Probably the greatest Biblical character outside of Jesus Christ. So let's look at the past. Let's look before his conversion. He was born in the city of Tarsus. He was a Benjamite, uh, was our uh, Benjamite uh, lineage and Hebrew ancestry. His parents were Pharisees who adhered strictly, and this is the reason that he was raised this way, and this is the reason that he he was adhered strictly to the law of Moses. Someone said that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. This was a Jewish group, about 70-some people, the Jewish Supreme Court. He could speak Greek and passable Latin. And understand this, this helped him as he carried the gospel to the far reaches of his 
influence. His household spoke Aramaic, the official language of Judah. So he was a very educated man that was educated. At the age of 13, he went to Palestine to learn from a rabbi named uh, Gamel. Very wise man was this man, the Apostle Paul. He became determined to eradicate Christians. He was determined to wipe out Christianity. Paul's early life was marked by religious zeal, brutal violence, and the relentless persecution of the earliest church. If I'd ask you today, who do you think is some of the meanest people on this earth? Or in this world, probably many of you would name the name Isis. Paul was an Isis. He was a terrorist. He had people killed. He would actually go into their home and take them by their hair and drag them out of the house. This is the kind of person he was. He was an evil, zealous, religiously zealous Man, And that's what you'll find today in the Middle East and other parts of the world where Christians are being killed literally by the thousands and tens of thousands because of their faith in God. This was the Apostle Paul before he met Jesus Christ. But the pivotal passage in Paul's story is found in this a great chapter, chapter 9, verses 1 through 22, and uh, how the Apostle Paul and most of us, if not all of us, know that great story, how that he was on his way to Damascus at that time to persecute the Christians there, and yet he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and from that time, his whole life was changed. In fact, From that moment on, Paul, the Apostle Paul's world, was turned upside down. After his transformation, Paul based his whole life upon what Christ had done and what Christ was continuing to do for him. His whole commitment, he said that, listen to this, that I might know him. That I might know him. In fact, in Galatians chapter 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He was sold out for none other, certainly, than Jesus Christ. He started out that way. Once he met Christ in that tremendous transformation, from that moment forth, he was sold out to this man who he had persecuted and ridiculed his followers. He was sold out to Jesus Christ. But in this study, as I studied the life of Paul, His name was originally Saul. He changed his name to Saul. His whole life changed. Even his name changed. But I was so interested and caught up in the fact how that over the years of his life, over the years of his teaching, 
how that he increasingly wanted to know Jesus. How that he increasingly cherished his relationship with God. Notice Roman numeral number two. Growing appreciation of the excellency of the Lord Jesus. Look at what number one says. On, the, on average, Paul refers to Christ as the Lord once every 26 verses in his letters. But in 2 Timothy, which was his last letter that he wrote, of the 13 letters that he wrote, he calls Christ Lord every once every six verses. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows, is a song that we at one time sing. I wonder how about us? Are we more infatuated with Christ now than we were when we first got saved? Has our appreciation for Jesus Christ grown as we have served him? Is our fire burning even more than it was? Is our appreciation for Jesus Christ enhanced as we go through life and the longer we serve him? Jake has sung the song, It Gets Sweeter As the Day Goes By, does it? Is our pace in our relationship with Jesus Christ enhanced or is it slowed down or slower as we go through? Do we, do we come tired and, and, and we no longer are enthused about reading the Bible or interested in going to church? And folks, you are, you're here today. But I, I just was amazed at how it's growing appreciation for the excellency of the Lord Jesus Christ. His appreciation of the excellency of Christ grew and grew, and so did his appreciation of his own sinfulness. And I believe that. I believe it so strong. That I believe as we get to know Christ and appreciate him more and more, we see where we are sinful people, where we fall short. Isaiah saw the Lord in chapter 6 of the book of this great Isaiah writer. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. other words, as he got to know God better and greater he saw himself as saying woe is me for I am a man with sinful lips I am a man that is undone and the reason we have people today that are not embarrassed and do not blush because of sin is because they lack appreciation for none other than Jesus Christ wow the devil doesn't care how much you talk about God. It doesn't matter what God it is. It can be whoever. It can be God, Jehovah. It can be Allah. It can be Buddha, whoever. But there's one thing the devil fights against and he gets and he hates, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. He don't like Jesus. And even if you do believe in him, he wants you to believe that he was just a historic figure. Wow. But Paul grew and grew 
in his appreciation for the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe when we do that, it provokes in us the desire to see us, to see us as we really are and to kneel before the Lord and weep before him and be like Isaiah, Paul and the rest that got to know him better and better as they live. Oh, God, be merciful to me. That kind of hampers pride in your life. Amen? And the less we recognize and appreciate, appreciate the excellency of Jesus, the more prideful we are. That's where the spirit of humanism comes in. We can do it. We can handle it. Man is number one. Let me tell you. A vision of the exalted Lord Jesus was what gave Stephen such special inspiration in his final final minutes. As we face death, as we face problems, the more that we appreciate Christ and the better we know him, the better it is and the easier it is to face the problems that we face. Listen to what he said. Acts, 5, Acts 7, 55 and 56. But he, Stephen, being what? Full. I love this. Full of the Holy Spirit. Gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus, not sitting, but standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. When it, comes time, when it comes time for us to go, wouldn't that be nice? To see the angels, to see Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he is seated, seated, seated at the right hand of God. But here for Stephen, this great warrior, this great committed saint of God that they are pelted in his body with stone and the blood is running to the ground and he's breathing his last last breath. He looks up and sees none other. That one that he's grown to appreciate and recognize his excellency. If there's anything that comes out of this sermon, I want us to be like Paul and these great men before us that knew what it was to look up and say, I honor you today, Jesus. I recognize you as Lord of my life today. Oh, I love that. I love that. Growing appreciation of the excellency of the Lord Jesus is a sign of spiritual growth. What's the man or woman that grows spiritually in the Lord? And they will learn to appreciate this great man, this wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. And he is Lord. The song that we sing and the song that has been sung thousands and tens and thousands of times. He is Lord will mean something to me. It will mean something to us. He is Lord. Hey, he is Lord of my life. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. I noticed this. One of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible is John chapter 9. I think there's 40 some verses in this chapter. And most of you will remember the story. 
how that there was a blind man, that he was born blind, and how that Jesus took him aside and spat on the ground and the Bible says made mud. Do you know Jesus was a mud maker? But he took that mud. And the Bible says it didn't just say he put it on the man's eyes. It said he anointed his eyes with it. (laughs) This is the man that that can take mud and use it for anointment. Hallelujah. But he anointed this man's eyes and he said you go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when you go you'll come see it. And he did. They had to lead him down to a body of water downtown. And he took that water and he washed his eyes. And he could see. He could see. Some of the religious leaders and the Pharisees were upset about it. And they spent this whole chapter inquiring. Asking, probing this man. And they ask him over and over, what are you doing walking around? Is this the man? Someone said, is this the man that was sitting by the wayside that could see? Or sitting down by the street? Some of them said, yes, that's him. Others said, no, he just looks like him. They found out he was. And so these religious leaders, they begin to question him, what's going on? What happened to you? What happened to you that you at one time could see nothing? Now you can see. What happened? Notice, first of all, the blind man said, this man. He started off saying, this man. This man made mud, put it on my eyes. I went and washed it out. Now I can see. I don't believe it. I don't accept that because it's the Sabbath. He is disobeying the very law of Moses and he can't be of God. He's of the devil. You can say what you want to. In fact, if you read the Amplified in that chapter, and I loved it. If you read the Amplified in that chapter, he said, you know what's amazing to me? That I was blind and now I can see and y'all don't know the person that made me whole. And and the Bible says he was was amazed. The word that's used, he was amazed that these religious leaders didn't know Jesus. I'm kind of amazed about that myself, aren't you? And they kept on probing and asking and they said, let's go ask his mom and dad. So they go get his mother and father and said, is this your son? Yes. Was he blind? Yes. What happened? I don't know. You see, they were afraid of being put out of the church. I don't know. He's of age. Ask him. So they go back to him and say, listen, you told us this story. I want to hear it again. He said, I've already told you you didn't believe it then. He goes, I I love this, if you'll notice, verse 11, I'm sorry. He says he's a man. Then he says he's a prophet, verse 17. They kept on and he said, do you want to be his disciples? Boy, they really got angry at him. 
What are you saying? We want to be his disciples? I guess not. The leader of the disciples. And then the next time, he was a man sent from God. <laughs> wow. Notice the escalation. Notice the appreciation. Notice the recognition. He goes from a man to a prophet to a leader of the disciples to a man sent from God. And then, let's look at it. I got to read it. I just love this. Verse 11. He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. I went and washed and I received sight. The next time they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes, he said, he's a prophet. And then verse 27 in the same chapter, he answered them and said, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Boy, they were furious. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, now he's recognizing he's from God, he could do nothing. And then in verse 38, he said, this is when Jesus came back to him. Great conversation. Read, read John 9 this week. <laughs> that whole chapter, it's good. Read it several translations. Jesus came back to him and told him, said, do you believe? He said, yeah, I believe. Who made me whole? He said, I did. Jesus said, I did. I'm the one that touched you. Look at what he responds. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Every step, and that's, that should be our life. No matter what happens to us, every step should carry us higher and higher and higher and higher. Glory to glory, glory to glory. We should go on and on and on and on, and it should get sweeter and sweeter, and the whole service of the Lord should be better and better Wow. I watch people, they come to the Lord and they're so excited. And it's not long before they're dragging here and dragging there. You have to twist their arm to get something done. And it seems like their, their relationship with God just fades and fades. And their excitement and their joy and their enthusiasm, it just wanes and wanes and wanes. When it ought to be entirely the other way. Enoch walked with God and he kept walking so close to God. He just stepped one day over the threshold and he was in heaven. That should be the Christian life. It gets better and better, not worse and worse. He should take up more and more of our time. Oh, that's the way Paul was. Paul did. The very same thing. Let me end by saying, looking at some lessons that we learned from the life of Paul and his relationship with Jesus Christ. No one is beyond the saving grace of God. Don't you dare limit the blood of Christ. And Isis was about to shoot and murder a Christian. And the man looked up at him. He said, I know you're going to kill me. But here is my Bible. 
this terrorist took his Bible and he began to read it. And he read it. And then he began to have dreams. And he dreamed the same thing every night. There was a white, there was a, a man standing dressed in beautiful white. And his arms were out. And he said, I love you. But you're killing my followers. And this man could not get away from that dream. And he turned around and accepted the very person. The very one that he had been killing his followers over. He accepted Jesus Christ to serve him. You can't get too far from God that he can't get to yet. Your children can't go far enough that the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ can't cleanse. Your co-worker may deny God and may be is whatever to you that they possibly can. And God can get a hold of them. Don't you and I underestimate the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. If he can save Paul, he can save anybody. If he can turn the life of Paul around, he can turn your and my life around. Anyone can be a powerful witness for God. We've seen it happen over and over again. Those that have been so against God have turned their lives around. Some of the greatest leaders in the world that's ever been have been the atheists or those that have denied Christ. I was reading about the meanest man in Texas. Texas is a big state. Can you imagine the meanest man in Texas? This young boy. He and his friend took his friend's dad's gun. And they were just going down through the woods doing whatever. They ran across two men and they killed both of them. He was sentenced to the death row. And then in prison, he got in a fight with another prisoner and killed him. That made three. Before he ever got out of prison, he had killed or was responsible for killing eight people. He was so mean and so evil. They kept kept him in isolation year after year after year. They would take him out once a week and give him a bath. He was so evil. And he had turned to God. His daddy was a pastor. He had turned to God. And he seemed like God had let him down. So he backslid on God. Became even more hard-hearted. Nothing they did could change that man's mind or change his life. And then one day, he asked one of the guards, he said, because they wouldn't let him have anything, wouldn't let let him have anything that he could kill himself with. 
He had to eat soup, chili, his food with his fingers. For years, he ate with his fingers. His hair grew long. Then one day, something happened to him. And he asked the guard for a Bible. And the guard brought a Bible. And this meanest man in Texas that had killed or was responsible for killing eight people turned his life around, accepted Jesus Christ. There was a lady that came to visit with him. And then she visited him routinely and witnessed to him. He truly and honestly surrendered his life to Jesus. The parole board would not let him out. Every year, year after year after year. And for 28 years, the meanest man in Texas stayed in that prison in Texas. Something happened to the parole board. And they decided to let him out. He married the lady that visited him quite often. Became a minister of the gospel. A writer that wrote so much. He died in 1979 of a heart attack. But he died a believer in Jesus Christ. He went from being the meanest man in the world. To a man that preached and wrote the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever underestimate the blood of Jesus Christ. It will change the vilest sinner. Anyone can surrender completely to God. It's okay if you mess up. God will pick you up and straighten you out. Our past doesn't define us. Our past. Listen, Paul's past didn't define him. Of course he was what he was. Of course he never in fact got away from that because Listen to what he says, writing in Timothy. He said, although I was formerly a blasphemer, count him, a persecutor, and an insolent man, which means injurious man, which means he had people killed, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. He was ignorant and he was an unbeliever. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all accept, acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, this for this reason, I obtained mercy. That in me, first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Wow. Powerful verses. Therefore, Hebrews tells us in chapter 7 and verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to say to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. To the uttermost. To the uttermost. Come and play for me, Sister Judy. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes 
in things thought impossible. And he can do what no other friend can do. Life, is it for self, still in your notes, or for Christ? Death, is it a loss or is it a gain? The Christian life is a life of impartation, not imitation. I struggle over whether to put that there or not. Listen at it. Life, the Christian life, is a life of impartation, not imitation. You see, we can imitate Jesus Christ. We can be good. We can do those things. We can be all of those things. But in imitating God, and we do imitate him when we come, it's, it's going to take that impartation. To live Christ, like Paul said, means to live in union with Christ so that he becomes my all in all. To live Christ means to exalt Christ through everything we do. To live Christ means to die to selfish desires in order to live to serve others for Jesus' sake. And lastly, to live Christ through prayer and provision of the Holy Spirit. Somebody says, Pastor, I can't do that. I've tried. I've tried to get rid of pornography. I've tried to stop drinking. I've tried to stop cursing. I've tried to stop talking about my neighbor. I'm tired. I've tried to stop exhibiting jealousy and, and, and pride. I've tried all of those things. I want you to read, if you've struggled with in, in any area of your life, I want you to read Romans chapter 8. It is one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. It will revolution. Read it. Read it with several translations. Translations. It will revolutionize your life.